ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello everyone, I'm Molly Molshine and welcome back to Diva Behavior. Today, we are going to have the first of hopefully many episodes about Marilyn Monroe obviously an iconic diva of the 20th century. And my guest today is Amir Ali Khan. Amir, or Prince Amir, as he's also been known, is a poet, he's an actor, he's a writer, and we met at grad school. And the first time we ever met, he brought up Marilyn Monroe within 30 seconds, I'm not even kidding, of us speaking to each other. And at that moment, I was like, okay, we're going to be friends. So what we're going to be focusing on today is... Something that I've noticed in my extensive research on divas and on accusations of diva behavior, basically there are two definitions for diva behavior. One of them is like the fun, sassy, cute side of being a diva. Like, for example, Paris Hilton's book, How to Be an Heiress, or whatever it was called. The funny reality show version of being a diva that we all love. And then the other time that the term diva behavior gets thrown around is when women are not easy for the greater establishment to understand. And what we're going to be focusing on with Marilyn Monroe today is the latter side of the diva behavior coin. Marilyn Monroe was by all accounts a very down-to-earth person. She was not really accused of being a diva in terms of, oh, I need my dressing room to contain 37 bouquets of white roses or else I'm not coming to work. She was not someone who would be accused of that sort of thing. Instead, she was someone who was branded difficult because back when she was at the peak of her fame, the word diva didn't really exist in the way that we know it today. So before you could call women divas, you would call them difficult. So Amir and I are going to talk a little bit about all the ways in which Marilyn Monroe was branded as a difficult person and a difficult person to work with and why all of this was really unfair and it was basically, it basically happened because a bunch of straight white men didn't care to understand her mental health issues. So I know that sounds depressing, but it's going to be a really fun conversation and I think everybody's going to learn a lot and if you enjoy it, you should definitely check out, if you don't already, the podcast, You Must Remember This. There is a season that came out probably two years ago dedicated to the dead blondes. That's what it's called. And there's a three-part uh, episode arc all about Marilyn Monroe. So check that out because we pull from a lot of that information in this episode. That's You Must Remember This podcast, the dead blondes season, the three Marilyn Monroe episodes. And there are a lot of great books about Marilyn that we mentioned the titles of that you can check out follow diva behavior on twitter and instagram at diva behavior pod we have five followers on twitter you guys (laughs) like we we can do we can all do better than that okay 
there's good content on there. Follow us at Diva Behavior Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Spread the word if you like this podcast. Send it to people. Follow me at Molly Molshine on Instagram and Twitter. Follow Amir at the Amir Ali Khan on Instagram. And enjoy the pod. Some people think Diva's a bitch. I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Okay, we're live here with Amir Ali Khan. Amir. Hi. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. So Amir and I met at film school, and as I said in the intro, he mentioned Marilyn Monroe to me within 30 seconds (laughs) of us meeting. So Amir, I just am wondering what made you bring up Marilyn so soon? I think, you mean when we first met? Yeah. Oh, um, I think I've always been fascinated with Marilyn Monroe, especially when uh, when I was in, when I was doing art and there was like Andy Warhol's pictures of Marilyn Monroe and um, the idea of fame. I think that was the first time I really noticed her. But as you were from someone from America and you were um, really interested in strong female figures, I've always uh, considered Marilyn a strong female figure, just it's not as apparent to other people because they still see her as a dumb blonde yeah. kind of um, con- like concept, I suppose. And um, yeah, I think that's really the reason why I brought it up with you because you were so open-minded about women and uh, feminism and all those different aspects. And oh, thanks, Amir. Yeah. Also, I should mention, Amir is our first British podcast guest. Oh, yeah. First of many, hopefully. So everyone's going to be so obsessed with your accent. I don't really have a strong British accent. I know. He doesn't think he has an accent. <clears throat> he thinks he sounds American, which is really <laughs> cute and funny. So, Amir, you kind of mentioned how you became a fan of Marilyn and how you sort of got interested in her. But what were some of the things, as you dug in deeper, that made you realize just how interesting she was? I think it's more about how real she was. You know, like she's someone who suffered a great deal. Um, she struggled a lot with um, depression and she had been abused she'd been in 11 foster homes like imagine just one and then 11 foster 11 foster homes and she was sexually abused in some of these foster homes right yeah it's believed that there was like at least three Um, she mentions um, her mother's best friend Grace McKee and her new husband Irvin Silliman who she called Doc Um, Doc repeatedly sexually assaulted her, which forced um, Marilyn Monroe, or then Norma Jean, to uh, move out. And there was another case when she was in middle school, she was sent to her great aunt's house in Compton, California. And there, it was one of her great aunt's sons who abused her, forcing her again to move out. And another account of the abuse that she wrote about was when she she was being whipped by one of uh, her foster mothers for having touched the bad part of a body. Jesus. Um, another more serious... Okay, but this is too dark. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is too dark. It's uh, so sad. Yeah, There's... her life is really sad. Yeah. I mean, so suffice it to say, she went through a lot of abuse and assault and everything. Oh, yeah. Because people, listeners might not know, her mom was schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. She was born when her mom was, what, 16, 15? Yeah, she and was, she also never knew her father. She never knew her father. And she says the earliest memory of her mother was her mother screaming and wanting to kill her. Wow. 
So again, so already, like really early in her life, we see a lot of like mental health issues that are clearly not being resolved, and then other people taking out their shit on her by assaulting her and abusing her and not being held accountable whatsoever. Oh yeah. So this all sort of turns into. The adult Marilyn, who, how old is she when she's discovered? She's discovered working at a parachute factory. Yeah, I During World so. War II. Yeah. And she's, you know, probably 18 or something, right? Yeah, around that. And she got married year. really young. That she's marriage didn't 16, work out. Because if she'd never got married, she'd have to be put back into the state orphanage. Right. So as a way to escape from it, she got married to this guy, I think his name's James Doherty. Yeah. And she was 16. And she had no other option. Um... She wanted to have a child with him, but he refused to give her one. And I feel like that was always something that had an effect on her throughout her life and being unable to have children. Okay, we're getting into so much doom and gloom right Right. off the bat. Let's talk about something fun. Okay. So she had, she loved Hollywood. She loved movies. She did. And she was... Well, Gladys herself, her mother, worked in the, worked in the movie business but she was always doing like you know the negatives and yeah she was she worked like in the dark room kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah. so marilyn sometimes had time to go well a lot of the time actually to go back and watch movies that she was fascinated with like gene harlow and um she was a big fan of uh, rudolph valentino Mm -hmm. who died the year she was born and she believed he she was a reincarnate of him wow and rudolph valentino was huge uh, him and his wife Natasha. They even mention it in American Horror Story, uh, with um, Lady Gaga being in love with Rudolph Valentino, who was now a vampire who'd outlived that period of time. And we can see that pop cultural reference to someone of such long ago in the twenties. So yeah, we kind of see the same sort of impact that Rudolph Valentino had at that age, and the sexual imagery and like effect that Marilyn Monroe had yeah. throughout the fifties and sixties. He was portrayed as sort of an overly sexual Lothario in yeah. movies, right? And I think it's really interesting to think about the fact that everyone sees Marilyn Monroe as sort of the first gigantic movie star, mm. but she wasn't. She was. There were a lot of people who came before her, and. It's interesting how her persona was crafted to be very similar to Jean Harlow. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you when you think of Marilyn Monroe, you just think she was herself and she came from a vacuum. But she was basing what she was on the things that came before her, too. Yeah. Which is really just interesting to think about, I think. Even, like, right down to her makeup, her style, her look. Yeah, her hair. People keep thinking that people, like, other people in the industry created that look for her, which is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. She created that look by herself. Um, her makeup artist um, Whitey Snyder he created <laughs> that was his name <laughs> I think his name is Whitey Snyder old timey Hollywood name Whitey Snyder that was his name yeah wow he um, yeah he even created certain makeup looks and there was even something in the lipstick that nobody knows to this day what those ingredients were because they were kept so secret wow and disclosed and you know Marilyn created the whole makeup look herself she designed this whole um character that she wanted to create obviously we all know that she went through you know um, surgery and it was all discreet yeah all those elements i mean people quite out speak quite openly about surgery today but obviously back then no one ever did yeah um my favorite thing to do with straight men is tell them that marilyn monroe had a nose job (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because it just shatters their entire worldview. Because I feel like a lot of guys, they have this idea in their head that women who are born quote-unquote perfect looking are like morally superior to women who have plastic surgery and they all have it in their heads that Marilyn Monroe is one of those women who was born perfect looking and it's like no she I mean obviously she was naturally beautiful everyone is in their own way but she did a lot of work to get the image that she wanted to get and to get the image that Hollywood wanted her to have and a lot of people just assume that she rolled out of bed and you know looked that way the like from the moment she was born. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing about Jean Harlow is, you know, Marilyn Monroe is such an iconic blonde. Jean Harlow was the most iconic blonde of the 1920s. Jean Harlow died because of the way that she bleached her hair. Did you know that? No. Well, they think that's why, because she would mix bleach with ammonia on her head, which is poisonous. And she just, like, slowly poisoned herself by by bleaching her hair as frequently as she did. She died of like kidney failure because she was her body was going through so much stress from the chemicals she was putting on her head. I had no idea. I know, that. which like people think I'm obsessed with my hair. <laughs> it's like this <laughs> a different level. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. And I always wonder how Marilyn Monroe like, for example, just shooting ahead in time. Mm. Um, with Marilyn Monroe and with Jean Harlow and with any iconic platinum blonde person how do you keep your hair from falling out because it's so bad for your hair when you're bleaching it that much and like you can see it in lady gaga in her documentary five foot two she doesn't have her wigs on but her hair is bleached and you can kind of just see how much hair she's lost over the years because of how frequently she bleaches it so when you think about the hair bleaching and then with marilyn the later drug use and the drinking i'm just like how did she look so good? <laughs> like, how was she not completely bloated all the time? With like, uh, with the hair, you mean? In her, like her hair, her drinking, just I think there she was... couldn't sleep. She had sleep issues. Like, I feel like whenever I'm going through something where I'm like maybe drinking a little too much and like not right. sleeping enough and not taking care of my hair, you look like a swamp monster. But if you look at pictures of her from even the most tumultuous parts of her career, mm. she still looks freaking amazing. Well, when I was watching um, a Marilyn Monroe sort of like makeup look, um, Lisa Eldridge, I believe, who's a, who's a makeup artist, she did a Mar- Marilyn Monroe sort of makeup on how, um, on how she did it at the time. So um, they were saying that Marilyn Monroe was really clever and knew that skin had to be looked after very well. So Marilyn Monroe really looked, very look after her skin very very well oh wow and she uses like creams or like um what is it um did she put like vaseline on her face yeah she put like a thick amount of vaseline before she put makeup on her face because she knew that under the studio lights it gave that sheen quality yeah to make her face look really you know exuberant yeah and the other thing is with skincare especially it's really all about moisture Mm. So they had moisture back then. Oh, yeah. You didn't need Botox necessarily. Plus, it seems like she didn't spend a lot of time in the sun. You know, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But um, I think also it has to do with the fact that nothing was shot in HD. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like her and Elizabeth Taylor, Judy Garland, they loved to hit the booze. Like Mm. they were not 
doing juice cleanses, these ladies. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, they were do they were eating and drinking toward the end of their careers whatever the fuck they wanted. And I think that a big reason why... I think that if they were doing that today with all the HD and shit, you wouldn't be mm. able to do that because everyone would be able to see, like, every line on your face. Oh, sure. Yeah, but bless them that they got away with it when they did. <laughs> I mean, it didn't work out so well for all of them, but we'll get to that part later. <laughs> um... There was something else I wanted to ask you about that we were just talking about. The Rudy Valentino thing. Right. So before we started recording, you had mentioned her being a Gemini. Right. Can you talk about that? Well, she was born on 1st of June, 1926. And um, she mentioned that she was... Because Geminis are usually like two, the kind of... Like two people in one, isn't it? And, yeah. Um, she constantly said that she was Jekyll and Hyde two in one and she says that oh sometimes I'm more than two I'm so many people that they shock me sometimes I wish it was just me I used to think I was going crazy until I discovered some people that I admired were just like that too so the sense of duality that existed within her Mm -hmm. I think helped her create the character that she created yeah you know totally and I think that when you are a star of that magnitude you have so many people from your handlers to your partner to the press to your fans telling you who you are. Mm. So you become even more aware of what your persona is versus who you really are. And I think you could probably like drive yourself insane think, just sitting and thinking about that stuff, you know, oh, yeah. for her. And plus, like, she was involved a lot with psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. which is uh, something that was a real rage in Hollywood back then. Like, you'd go talk to someone, and her, she spoke to Dr. Greenson, and that was her psychoanalysis. And yeah. She, would, she actually became quite obsessed with him. In fact, towards the later years of her life, she ended up moving in with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was the one who, after the misfits Mm. and after some like it hot after her so she had basically two high profile marriages right joe dimaggio Mm. and arthur miller and then there was the earlier guy who was just kind of a nobody james dorty yeah Yeah. so after her marriage to arthur miller which i really want to talk about she Mm. she sort of became more reliant on pills and she started drinking more and dr greenson i think was trying to help her but at one point he wanted to get her he wanted to get her off barbiturates which is like oh, yeah. Xanax and put her on opiates instead because he thought they weren't as dangerous and right. an opiate is like oxycontin i think which back- it wasn't back then it was not as strong but right. it's just crazy because it was yeah back then they were just starting with like psychiatric medication i think back then also like they didn't know about things such as side effects right because there was so it wasn't a thing that yeah. people knew about so she just took these medications thinking it's going to help her without thinking that, oh, well, there could be something that could, there could be side effects from it yeah. because that concept just wasn't there. She would be taking, mm. she would be taking stuff like by injection. She was giving herself, this is according to um, the podcast, You Must Remember This, which you should, you have to listen to. They have a whole series called Dead Blondes and they have three episodes mm. about Marilyn. And she was giving herself enemas with her prescriptions in them i've heard about this as well like what that's insane what even is that like just snort it (laughs) (laughs) like it's coke (laughs) yeah Yeah. like i i just can't believe how 
they let her get to that point where she was taking that many prescriptions in so many different ways. But it also makes sense because I'm sure at the time they thought they were on the cutting edge. Mm. They thought, oh, no one else can afford this. This is the best of the best care. Right. You know? Yeah. It's really interesting. But I think with one thing I was thinking about earlier when I was doing some research for this podcast was the way that I think, I think when she shot the movie, the misfits, Oh yeah. That was a real turning point for her mental health because in the misfits, did you know that that the reason why the movie was shot in black and white was because of Marilyn's eyes. They were dead. They were cold. Really? Yeah. Do you think that's really true though? Cause because this is what I'm what I'm trying to say is that so the Misfits was Arthur Miller, her husband, who was a famous playwright. He wrote The Crucible and a bunch of other stuff. He was huge back in the 40s and 50s. Arthur Miller wrote the screenplay for the Misfits. Mm. Jack Houston, whose daughter Angel Angelica Houston, I oh. trashed last week <laughs> on the Oprah podcast. I'm just learning that the Houston family is a bit nefarious Mm. as I talk about all my favorite divas. But Jack Houston directed it. Her husband, Arthur Miller, wrote it. Marilyn and Clark Gable were the stars. The movie had very a very rough production. It was very stop and go. They, you know, they just couldn't get it together. And part of the reason why they they stopped production at one point. And during that time, Marilyn ended up going to treatment for, like, drug addiction. Right. So, basically, Jack Houston, or John Houston, the director, he told everybody that they had to stop production because Marilyn was addicted to drugs and it was holding up production. Right, yeah. But in reality, he had gambling debts because he was addicted to gambling, and he had spent the rest of the movie's budget on paying back his gambling debts. Oh. And that's why they had to stop production. Do you think they could be saying that about using Marilyn as a scapegoat? Yes. Then? By saying, oh, we didn't shoot the ma- the movie was shot in black and white, but really that was to save money. Yeah. For color. You're right, technical, right? Right. Okay. I yeah. think they, they used every, I think everything that went wrong with that movie, which was a lot, they pinned on Marilyn. Yes. And there was no way for her to win because you have these two egocentric male assholes at the center actually three if you count Clark Gable and all three of them none of them will admit that this movie isn't that good and it's not going to do well because Arthur Miller's been working on the script for years and Arthur Miller made her take movies she didn't want to do so that he could keep working on the script for the misfits oh yeah that's why she kept playing dumb blonde roles for a long time yeah right because she so that he could get this script done and it's still like I think the movie people say the movie's good but um, it had a huge budget and it was never going to recoup the costs. So yeah. it was like one of her first movies that really didn't, wasn't profitable. And I think it was a real turning point for her where she, it, she was trying to do a serious role. It didn't work out. She always wanted to play more dramatic roles. Yeah. Uh, she kind of played a little bit in Don't Bother to, Don't Bother to Knock. Mm-hmm. And I remember that they said that her anxiety was so bad, she was throwing up before every scene. Right. Yeah. She. This is the thing, is she would try to do these these tough roles for herself, and then she would be so, um, she would be freaking out about it. Yeah. So she would just be drinking and drinking and drinking and taking all these pills in order to sleep because she couldn't sleep because she was so worried. Mm. And obviously that was, you know, people should have been concerned about that behavior and wanted to help her, but instead they 
used her as a scapegoat for why yeah. these movies were failing and why these men couldn't get their own shit together. That's so insightful. I actually had no idea about that. But yeah. that definitely makes me think more more about it now. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing with like even a lot of her early biographies, they don't take that kind of thing into consideration. Mm. They're just like, oh, she was spiraling and she ruined everyone's movie. And it's like, no, she first of all, she had a great reason to be not in such a great mental state like she needed people should have been helping her she had a terrible upbringing oh yeah one of the worst upbringings by today's standards we call her an abused child yeah but back then i mean that concept was just alien to them yeah it didn't it didn't exist and you know she had all these men profiting off of her no one really looking forward for looking out for her and i think she also started to amass this group of hangers-on and clingers to her like Dr. Greenson, you know, mm. I'm sure she was a very popular or profitable patient for him. And like the acting coaches. Oh, yeah, like Lee Strasberg and, yeah. and Paula Strasberg. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, can you like, t- talk about them a little bit? Yeah, um, well, Paula Strasberg went on with Marilyn um, when she was doing the movie My, My Week with, uh, sorry, The Prince and the Showgirl. Yeah, The Prince and the Showgirl, with, which uh, is the movie that is that My Week, My Week with Marilyn is based, about. Yeah. Which a lot of people say is BS because they're like, there's no way that this that guy happened, hooked up yeah. with Marilyn. But I still like the movie. Yeah, the movie's good. I yeah, love that movie. Yeah, it's good. I just don't believe it, but it's good. Yeah, Michelle Williams does an amazing job at yeah. Marilyn, even though she doesn't quite do the voice, but she's yeah. still convincing. Um I mean, there's something interesting about that movie as well. There's a line in the movie where, where Michelle Williams as Marilyn Monroe says, should I be her? And he's like, who? And she's like, Marilyn. Because mm-hmm. she knew how to t- turn it on mm-hmm. and turn it off. And yeah. people don't realize that that Marilyn Monroe is just a caricature. Right. It's not real. And it's something that she meticulously crafted. Oh, yeah. She spent years crafting that character. I mean, when you were looking at movies like Niagara and... Um, Niagara's a very early one. It's her oh, first yeah. starring role, right? Uh, she came in Asphalt Jungle first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, something about Eve. Well, yeah, all about Eve. All she about has Eve, a bit yeah. part. She's only in it for like three for, seconds. Yeah, not yeah. very long. Um, but yeah, the Asphalt Jungle, I feel like when she got a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but Niagara, she um, they, she was kind of sewn into all her clothes. She wanted to have that very slim sort of look. And yeah. Also, she began to sew, like, buttons where her nipples are to make them look even more prominent. Oh, my God. Yeah, because she was like, <laughs> I know what to do to make a man tick. And then she's like, oh, that walk. I'm just going to cut off my heel to give the little bops in my step when yeah. I walk. You think about how cleverly she thought about all these things. And then you, um, at the end of Niagara, you have that long walk of Marilyn. Mm-hmm. That's iconic. Yeah. Um, and it's just like 30 seconds of Marilyn walking, which at that time was like the longest walk. Yeah. Like, accumulated. And they marketed it. Based on that. Oh, yeah. They were like, you're going to see Marilyn's butt moving for yeah. 30 seconds if you come see this movie. But, but yeah, so the Strasbergs. Yeah. They were, they were affiliated with the method, right? Oh, As yeah. in method acting. Right. Which we've all heard of, I'm sure. So how, and they were basically, it was a husband and wife, right? Yeah. And they sort of convinced Marilyn that they were able to pull these great performances out of her. Using a lot of dark memories. That mm-hmm. shit to tap into because obviously you got to think about it like you got to go into your own personal thoughts and deep feelings and bring that out within your characters yeah. and I think I think she they all thought this would help her but I feel like it only sent her spiraling downhill yes because there was subconsciously a lot of things that perhaps she had completely omitted from her brain but now here they were being like woken up and coming back to the surface all over again yeah. so 
yeah, um, I think this is where she talks a bit about the abuse one with Mr. Kimmel. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned before, and there were several other situations. She talks about, she wrote this poem about the surgeon cutting into her. I don't know if you've uh, no. seen it. And she's like, oh, I'm like a raggedy Ann doll. I can't really remember the entire poem, but wow. it was, um, it wasn't a literal one, but it's an interesting poem that she had written. Yeah. Oh, and she wrote a poetry book called Fragments. I know, you always yeah. talk about it. I need to check it out because... Yeah. Yeah, she. I think it's something really sad about her is how badly she wanted to be taken seriously and how reliant she was on this caricature that sort of people didn't want to take seriously. Oh, in the end, she began to despise the character she created because yeah. she wanted to so stay away, get away from that whole image. And But she could not escape Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. She could not escape her, no matter how hard she tried. Yeah. Um, you think about later roles when she was trying to be more serious, like the Misfits, and you see that crying scene when 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 the horses are taken away and stuff, and she's standing there in the desert just crying her yeah. eyes out. You look how serious she is. Or when you look at um, Something's Gotta Give, and she plays a mother's role, but yet that movie was never complete, and therefore we will never see Marilyn as a mother. Yeah, she would always be the caricature that she inevitably that she created, but. Um, and she wanted to be a mother so badly, so but she badly. had several miscarriages. Yeah. And... There was a thing that Arthur Miller said, something about her death was inevitable. It was uh, unstoppable. Like, it was meant to happen. Something that really fascinates me about the way that Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe's relationship is analyzed and spoken about by the public and the press is the fact that if their genders were reversed... I think that she would be blamed for his death, but Mm. he is never blamed for hers. And I don't think he should be. I don't think anyone should be blamed for anyone's addiction or suicide or overdose. I don't think that at all. But if it was the other way around, people would be blaming her. Yeah. The same way people blame Courtney Love for Kurt Cobain's death. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because what happened with the Misfits especially is he wrote all about their marriage issues and he made Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe deliver these lines that were basically exactly what they had fought about in private and I think for Marilyn that must have been really traumatic because Mm. I don't think she seems like the kind of person who would have been stoked about having those insecurities played out in public because the lines that did have to do with them were things like him saying to her, oh, you're so sad and you make everyone else so happy. And it just seems like that would have maybe been cathartic for Arthur Miller, but not so cathartic for Marilyn Monroe. Right. And I don't know. I just think he kind of could have been a little more sensitive from what I've Oh, I agree. I agree with that. I, I think he kind of took a lot of, um, not... Well, I don't know if advantage is the right word, but he took a lot from from her life that yeah. he impor- incorporated into his work. And you can clearly see a lot of his characters have something Marilyn Monroe related. Yeah. You know? He used her as a muse. Yes. That's, in a way that's, that's cool. yeah. very... A little over the line, I mm, think. I agree. But also, don't we all do that as writers? Sort yeah. of like we take it. We take parts of our own life and incorporate it to the information that we already know. Yeah. So I mean, in a kind of way, I we understand it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we don't agree with it. But then, should we be just as harsh on ourselves? Right. 
right? I mean, he was definitely better for her than Joe DiMaggio, who was fully physically abusive. Yeah. Although she started hooking up with him towards the end of her life and they were going to get back together. I know, but a lot of people do that with abusive relationships. Mm. It's just like a pattern of abuse. It's a cycle of abuse. I just don't feel like any men in her life were actually good to her. None. I don't even think Arthur Miller was good to her. No, no. I don't either. No. She really had a thing for Joe jo, jo DiMaggio, though. Yeah. And I felt like what they had was real. It's just he was too jealous. Yeah. He didn't want to date a movie. He wanted, He thought that they were going to get married and she was never going to step on a film set ever no. again. Remember when he like, beat her up for doing the, the, infamous, like, the famous... Um, dress scene yeah where her dress flies up yeah it was that in the seven year itch yeah and they did that scene so many times even though they didn't need to takes and takes and takes I remember he went home and he literally just beat her up terrible you know terrible and to think about everything she suffered from a young age and then all those issues and on top of this like domestic abuse and then you know all the insecurities obviously it just it's like you can tell that the way that where she was headed was inevitable. Yeah. You know? Right. I don't think it had to be inevitable, though, because I think a lot of people enabled her to mm. get there. Like, you know, the doctor and the acting coaches who, mm. the way you said before, they made her dredge up all these painful memories and relive them in order to channel them into good performances. That was so irresponsible of them mm. because they're not, they're not psychiatrists. They're not therapists. And it's, it reminds me of Scientology or Catholicism or any other cult where you have to talk about your bad things that happened to you and bad things that you've done in order to kind of make yourself vulnerable in front of this authority figure. And it's just a really effective way to kind of brainwash anyone. Mm. Like in Scientology, you have to sit and hold those stupid e-meters and you have to say everything you've ever done wrong and everything bad that's ever happened to you. And it's sort of like this fake phony therapy session that makes you look at that authority figure with more respect. And I think... I don't know if the Strasbergs knew that was exactly what they were doing, but it was what they were doing. And it made her feel so attached to them because not only would she be telling them all of this terrible stuff that happened to her, but she also would then sit there and they would tell her she was the most amazing person who ever lived and blah, 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 blah. Really feeding her. Yeah, they would feed her ego while also sort of cannibalizing her trauma. Right. So it's just such a recipe for getting dependent on them and getting even more fucked up. I think also the fact that she never had a family of her own and seeing their sort of little family. Um, and with Joe DiMaggio too, like he's Italian and he had he's like... Italian a... from New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry guys, it's a Lady Gaga quote that Amir says <laughs> nine times a day. <laughs> I'm just Italian from New York. <laughs> Yeah. He is Italian from New York. Oh, yeah, he He's is. Yankee. Yeah. And I think his whole family dynamic and how big his family was. And, you know, Marilyn was actually into cooking as well. You know, she liked to cook and do all that sort of um, housewife sort of thing. So, obviously, Joe DiMaggio obviously, obviously saw potential in her in that, yeah. in that direction. And, yeah, I feel like these family dynamics that she never had, she sees in the Strasbergs or she sees in the DiMaggios. And she, she kind of wants it because it's something she's never had. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what also this dependency comes from is 
not having the very thing that she feels deep down she needs. Yeah. And then latching onto it in, in a in a very disastrous yeah. way. I mean, why does anyone become famous? It's because you need you're looking for connection with as many people as possible. Mm. And you can do that in a healthy way or you can do it in an unhealthy way. And I think a big part of that has to do with who's around you and who's your support system. And she had no support system. Nothing, not a single soul was out there genuinely looking out for her. Oh, yeah. And like the fact that she was so under surveillance as well. Yeah. When you think about her involvement with the Kennedy brothers... Oh, that is a friggin' another topic for another time. For sure. Yeah. And Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. There was a couple, I don't know if you knew about this, who moved into a house mm-hmm. and they had like the walls checked and everything and they found out that her whole pl- house was tapped. What? Yeah. Like For she, real? Yeah, for Not real. a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. But wow. like, that's insane. Like, she, she always had tapped a Tapped by who? Well, the mafia, because she was involved with that too. Like, she was involved with people like... Marilyn was, like, quite in the shady business, you know? Yeah. Like, with the, with the Kennedys. And she's, she was phone calling, like... Bobby uh, Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, all the, time, up, like, yeah. all the time. It's insane. And, you know, there's a lot more to her than, we, than what meets the eye. That's for sure. And, yeah. Um, that's, but obviously, an issue for another time. Yeah. Okay, guys, we just paused for a quick Google on the wiretapping just to make sure we're not spreading misinformation. Mm. So here's what the deal is. This is according to Variety, which is obviously a very good source. So after Marilyn died, when she was selling her property, it says the property was bought in 1972, which was three years after she died, by Veronica Hamill, who was an actress, when Mr. Irving and... Miss Hamill. Two years after she died. She died in 62, babe. Oh, 62? Oh, yeah. She dies in the first episode of Mad Men. I'm sorry. I thought it was the last. 5th of August, 1962. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Yes. She died in 62. So in 72, this actress and her husband, they went to remodel their new home and they discovered an extensive and sophisticated eavesdropping and telephone tapping system. A retired, unnamed Justice Department official claimed the system was built with parts not available for commercial purchase in 1962, which were instead standard FBI issue. So basically, they found all this equipment that could have only been placed there by the Mm. FBI. And so this added, obviously, fuel to the fire that she was killed. If you guys have never heard about this, I'm about to blow your minds. The the theory that she was killed by the mob because of her involvement with JFK and Bobby Kennedy. Oh, there were such crazy things about that. But I believe it. Do you really? Yeah, I think, I mean, think about it. She knew information that I think could have come out during Pillow Talk or with Bobby, with with John John F. Kennedy or with Bobby Kennedy. I don't know. Apparently she knew like a lot. We don't know what they talked about. There's a lot of crazy stuff I heard, like some things I don't believe in, like she heard stuff about Area 51, about aliens. Oh my God. She was going to unveil that. Marilyn Monroe was going to tell the world the truth about aliens. I can't. And plus, like, she had this intention that she thought she was going to be uh, the, the the lady to John F. Kennedy. I don't know how she had convinced herself know, of this. It's sad. But she said that if this doesn't happen or whatever, I'm going to expose the truth. This truth... Are wh- you sure she said that? Yeah, like... She's been said by a few friends of hers, but that can, she was saying, that she, "I'm, I'm going to become the la- the first the first lady." Yeah, whatever. first lady. And she had really convinced herself of this. So, what promises were being told to her, we don't know, or whether or not she just de- believed it delusionally. In- See, I don't think the Kennedys would have 
respected her enough to reveal any sensitive information to her. And I also think all of the Kennedys were cheating so much on their spouses that they would have... They would already have a system in place for this is how we treat these women. We don't tell them sensitive information. Like, I think they used and abused her, like, sexually. And I... Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they did. I don't know. But if they did, I don't think they would have really been having substantial conversations with her. Mm. I think they would have just been inviting her over and, like, you know. Hmm. I do think they're dicks for... The way they they treated her because at that point in her life when she was involved with them she was very clearly fucked up on drugs like all the time oh yeah she's a huge bobby trot user yeah like that video as well yeah the video of Mm. her singing happy birthday to jfk that is not a sober person no it's just not you know oh yeah so i think whatever they did do to her i think they messed her up even further but I don't think she was killed by them. I think it's like the most, it's just the sad truth when you get addicted to those kind of drugs. It's probably the same thing that happened to Heath Ledger where they think that he took took some sleeping pills and then he fell asleep and he woke up and forgot he took them and he took more and that's it and he died. You know, like I think that's probably what happened to her. She just forgot how much she had already taken and then she overdosed. I think it's interesting what you're saying and I think I've thought about that too but... I'm just not convinced that it was just an accident. Yeah. Because if you think about the surveillance, you think about, you know, her, there, I think there is a lot more that we don't know about. Okay. The so the surveillance could have been, do you know when she moved into that house? No. Let's look it up. So when she was with Arthur Miller, um, do you know about like the Red Scare and McCarthyism in the U.S. in the 50s? So basically, in the 1950s, Americans were very freaked out about communism, and there was this big conspiracy theory that all of Hollywood was secretly communist, and if anybody who worked in Hollywood had ever gone to a communist meeting or signed up for a communist uh, reading list or anything, they would, you know, face jail time. They Mm. would get fucked. They would just, like you know, not ever be able to work again and blah, 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 blah. So during the 50s, all of these people in Hollywood were refusing to talk and refusing to testify against their um, friends and refusing to say these people are communists. It was a big thing, like who's with us, who's against us kind of thing. So Arthur Miller was involved in that. He They, like, tried to get him to testify a lot. He might have even been accused of being a communist or something. Oh, is this the time of Marilyn supported him no matter what? I think so. Yeah. Like, did he talk? Was... was he... Did he squeal? I don't know what happened, but I'm sure there was a time when Arthur Miller got into some trouble and Marilyn Monroe backed him up and said that she was going to stand by him no matter what. Yeah. Oh, so he refused to name communists. Right. He defied McCarthyism. That's good. He want, he was convicted for contempt of court because he wouldn't say who was a communist. Right. And he was his passport was denied when he tried to go to Brussels to promote the crucible. That's so insane. Yeah. So yeah, this was what was going on in the fifties in Hollywood. They were trying to get people to testify and everyone was saying, No, I won't do it, and they were facing these consequences. And one of the people who did testify against everyone was Elia Kazan, the director of On the Waterfront. And he's his daughter, his granddaughter or great-granddaughter, Zoe Kazan, is now an actress. And she, like, stuck up for him on Twitter, like, 
it wasn't that bad what he did. And it's like, dude, no, it's so bad. You can't be. It's like, it was like 1984 was happening in the U.S. Do you know what I mean? During Mm -hmm. that time, it was like, who's, who has thought about communism? If you've thought about communism, you're going to be punished. But so I'm thinking maybe the FBI installed all those wiretaps because of the McCarthyism stuff, because they still weren't over all this communism crap and they wanted to get evidence that she was a communist because the FBI has listened in on Jane Fonda's calls. They've listened in on Gene Seberg. They've listened in on a lot of different Hollywood actors because, you know, they just, they want to prove that they're connected to the opposite kind of political ideology. Mm -hmm. Like even Trump does it, you know, like conservatives usually mostly do it is, is like they'll, they'll accuse Hollywood of being too liberal and covering up like pedophilia rings, which sometimes Mm. is true. But so I was thinking maybe the, that wiretapping equipment was there because of her connection to Arthur Miller and his connection to McCarthyism. Um, but I just Googled it and she only lived in that house for six months before she died. Yeah. So So would they have put that equipment in in six months? I mean, I guess if she's talking to the Kennedys on the phone. That's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like that's more of the issue rather than Arthur Miller. Yeah. All right. Now I, now I, now I, I believe that the Kennedys maybe wiretapped her house, but I don't think they had anything to do with her death. Well, that's another time for another Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is too big of a topic for, yeah, we need a whole separate one. Okay, it's unfortunately about time for us to wrap. So let's end this on a positive note. Amir, what is your favorite Marilyn Monroe performance? Gentlemen prefer blondes. I actually do like her in Niagara as well. Yeah. Um, huh. Gentlemen oh. prefer blondes is my favorite too. Yeah. She's, she's just so funny. Yeah. And you she, just love her. She's so good. And on that podcast... You must remember this, which everyone should listen to, especially you. The blonde one? Yeah. Yeah. They, she points out, Karina Longworth, the host, points out that Marilyn, if she, if Jean Harlow was doing that role, she would have done it with a wink and she would have done it really sassy and funny because she's, Marilyn is playing an open gold digger. She's playing right. someone who's saying, I'm going to marry a man for his money because I'd be stupid not to. And... If that was a different actress in that role, they might have played it more the way Jane Russell plays her foil in that, right. like her best friend, more sassy and more self-aware. Right. But Marilyn plays it as this very like, who, me? Why? What's wrong with that? And she's very like, <laughs> she's deadpan and she's just, she plays it as if her character is just dead serious the mm. whole time. And it's so smart. Oh, because yeah. Because it's just, I think. Yeah. Touching on the uh, the part of smartness that you're referring to, I think in every Marilyn Monroe movie, there's always a line somewhere. If you look, if you really look into it and, and listen for it, where it's talking about her intellect, and there's a kind of thing where you can see where she's actually always being perceived as dumb. But is she dumb? You're right. She does have a line in like every movie where she's yeah. like, "I'm not actually dumb." Yeah, yeah. But it kind of makes you think. Wait, hang on a second. Wait, we're thinking she's dumb, but is she dumb? Or is yeah. she smart and clever that she's like, I'm just going to oh, speak about this uh, rightly. Yeah. And no one's going to correct me because I'm a dumb, hot, dumb blonde. Yeah. You know? So there is a line in, in Gentleman for Blondes where she's like, um, where, she's, where she talks about Gus to her, fa- to her, fa- to her potential father-in-law at that yeah. moment. And then she's just there like, um, I can be smart when it's important, but most men don't like it. Yeah. 
So it makes you think like, wait, is it because she's playing dumb because she is dumb or is she being dumb to fool us? Yeah. There's that question that's always there within a movie. And that's the thing that is such an annoying thing about like the way that women were treated and perceived in the 20th century and Mm. probably all the previous centuries where it's like they men want you to be dumb and they want you to be non-threatening. But then if you do do that, they make fun of you for being dumb. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like a catch-22 where you literally can't win. And it's something really interesting about Marilyn that she was all about this performative, hypersexualized femininity, and it was also her undoing, you know? Like, she basically crafted a persona for herself that was what every man wanted. Every man wants, I mean, in the 50s at least... What the the accepted knowledge was, every man wants a woman who's hypersexual, hourglass figure, but isn't going to give you any lip and is just going to, like, kind of sit down and shut up and basically have the mind of a child. And so that's what she did. And look how it worked out for her, you know? Yeah. It's like you, you just can't win with being a woman trying to fit into, like, what men want. Yeah, exactly. And she just kind of proves that to, like, a cartoonish extent almost. Yeah. But I love Gentleman for a Fur Blonde. Yeah, it's good. What about yours? What is your favorite? That's probably my favorite. That was a huge... um, When I was in my undergrad doing film studies, that was like a huge influence on me because I was like... I had this really great course with this professor and I cannot remember her name. And I've been trying to remember her name for years because she was so awesome. But it was studies in film genre and it was all about the musical so it was all about movie musicals and I just saw so many movies that just Mm. like blew my mind because film and film studies has always been so like white male dominated that taking a class about musicals I was like oh my god I'm watching movies about like women and like gay men and this is Mm. great you know like we watched Gentlemen for Fur Blondes we watched all that jazz have you ever seen that you would love it is that also Marilyn Monroe movie? No, 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 no. It's different. And we watched Sweet Charity, which I never would have seen. It's just all these movies that aren't respected in the, you know, film establishment, mm. but that are incredible, which I think a lot of her movies would fall into that. Like, right. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is just such a good movie. And her whole statement, her whole thesis statement in the end where she's like, what's the difference between a woman marrying a man for money and a man marrying a woman because for she's looks? she's pretty, Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's true. What is the difference? Like, everybody is doing some sort of calculus in their head when they pick a mate of, like, hotness versus money versus this and that, you know? It's like, and and when women do it is the only time that it's demonized. Oh, of course. Like, men, it's it's totally fine to see a woman as a sexual object. Yeah. That's totally okay. Yeah, when you see a man marrying a woman who's way too hot for him, you're not like, he's a terrible person. You're like, oh, Oh, yeah, they must love each other. Yeah. (laughs) I think another qu- a movie that I really liked was Some Like It Hot with Tony Curtis. Yeah, I like that one, but it doesn't do it for me the same way that Gentleman for Fur Blondes yeah. does. There, there is still some a lot of quest- There's still some questions in that movie that they're like, um, what is that insinuating? That there was crazy like homoerotic yeah. subtext within that. And I was there like, yeah, the oh, whole like cross dressing yeah. thing is very like very last century. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, men are dressing as women. Who could imagine such a thing? But I also find it really interesting, her her little role in All About Eve. Mm. Because she doesn't have her persona on lock yet. 
Yeah. And she's dressed in a way that doesn't emphasize her curves as much. And mm. her hair is longer and it's like in an updo. She just, she's not the Marilyn that we know. Mm. She's sort of an early stage. She's like, she's like a, like an early stage Pokemon before it like morphs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then when, like when you compare that to her later on. Yeah. It's it's just cool to see. It's like you're watching her figure out what works for her in real time. Right. Yeah. All right, Amir. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You've been amazing. Is there any closing note that you would like our listeners to think about? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, not just for Marilyn, but for any woman out there who people view as nothing more than something just for image sake, to always look into it and think like okay is that just Mm -hmm. something just for show is that really her like always like dig into the person because you never know like you never really know about a person till you really just sit down and talk to them so just think about researching about them looking into them and seeing the real depth of of an individual rather than assuming that the character that they play on on screen is who they really are you know yes that is like something i would say too everyone and I gave Marilyn that chance and I have no and now you're obsessed yep and now yep as everyone should be absolutely some people think diva's a bitch I never said that diva behavior great uh, great gowns beautiful gowns (laughs) of course I don't trust you diva behavior the podcast ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>